Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scuzz. 10-gallon hat, Scouse bow. Yeehaw! Oh yeah, bring that hat home, baby. Um, what a game. I mean, just right off the top. <laughs> I mean, good God. <laughs> 45-43. Um, we all know, a bit punch drunk after this one, even though it's, uh, what, 48 hours later? Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> My Lord. Th- this was the final game in the Big Ten West ever. <laughs> that, that's a, that, that's, that's a, a moment for the Big Ten West. Like, yeah. Raise your glasses, like, folks. The, the Big Ten West is what, what you thought it was, and we said, you know what? Let's get weird. <laughs> 45, 43. Hey, 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 in a similar way, I realize I'm jumping way ahead here. I'm just going to drop this now. Like a, a toast, uh, a toast to to this game and to the Big Ten West. Um, I'm literally raising a Manhattan right now. And um, a toast also to uh, the Bajakian area era being bookended by 40 point offensive outputs. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if this is if this is truly the end of the Bajakian output, I mean, he this is about I think the most points, right? Um, and obviously there are, there are asterisks, but I mean, it's great. It's great to go out with it's great to to go out with that kind of offensive production if that's how this goes. We were I was just laughing. I mean, obviously, I know we're going to get into this a lot because our second ever like the post segment is going to be coming up very shortly, um, but. When we had Jay Sharman on last week and we talked about that and we, we previewed this game, we talked forever about how there had been no memorable games in this rivalry <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> and, and, and then later, later in the pod, right? Kiss of death, also, right? <laughs> we also brought up, right, that uh, our man, um, coach, Northwestern NUFB recruiting, had, had passed along all these great special team stats, particularly pertaining to the kick and punt coverage units. And we coverage that. And one of those two things really aged well. <laughs> and the other thing, not so much um, because the, the kick and punt coverage were absolutely phenomenal in this game. But uh, I think we were having the discussion and I brought up to Jay that as far as I could remember, the most memorable Illinois game to me was the game where Coco Azuma played running back, and that is no longer the case. <laughs> we we have a, I think probably for every single Northwestern fan, a most memorable Northwestern Illinois game now. Yeah, th- this game was, was wild. And, you know, for all the Illinois fans who are bitching and moaning about a, a pass interference not called on a two-point conversion, guess what? The refs were brutal all game long. Like I, I don't care. Um, we've, but that's we've not where... never experienced that as Northwestern fans, have we? No, no, never, never. On on that play, just since you brought it up, three players touched the ball after it left Paddock's hand: Carmine Bastone, Xander Mueller, Rod Hurd, all of whom were directly in the path of the football. There was. No way that ball was getting caught in any way, shape, or form. So, again, I know we're preaching to the choir on this pod, but it must be said. But that, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to start there. I, I think, you know, th- this game just, I, you know where I do want to start? I want to start with the final drive 
of the second quarter. I want to start after Ben Bryant threw that pick six and, you know, the Cats got it back where, you know, it would have been real easy to just say, let's take a knee, let's go into the half. But you know what? That's not what happened. They drove yeah. it down the field and scored a touchdown. Well, I it's 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 so important to set the context here. So, yeah, you mentioned the pick six, um, which was a pretty rough overthrow by, by Bryant. It was probably his worst pass of the season. Illinois goes down, or North, Northwestern goes down uh, in the score for the first time in the game. Um, they get the ball back with a minute nine. That's the most important thing. Yeah. And, and and on first down, they run they run 12 yards for a first down. So this is like the one spot where I'm like, well, you know, um, if they'd only gotten one yard on that first down, like what happens? But um, this this is where we separate the 2023 Northwestern experience from what's happened before. And we've talked a lot. I have talked a lot about how I, I just have observed a different sense of urgency from the Northwestern team this year in all three phases. And that's not to say Northwestern teams of the past have not haven't had an urgency or, a, or an ability or willingness to grind, but there had there, the, the former regime had a, a, a um, penchant for relying heavily on defense and I'll say um, capitulating on offense. And this was the perfect example of not doing that. A minute nine left on the clock. Not just let's see what happens and let's play for a field goal. Because if, if, real talk, if the 2022 Northwestern Wildcats were in this exact same position and got that 12-yard run on first down, they would be playing for a field goal to mm-hmm. end the half. And... David Braun, younger coaching staff, understands the the modern game, the way the game has evolved in in a different way, and approached it in a different way, and went went full bore for the touchdown um, to drive the length of the field, et cetera. And obviously, you know, something could have short circuited the drive along the way, but like th- this was a demarcation line. We've seen signs of it, but this was the perfect encapsulation to me of how this team differs from what we've seen in the past because it's very possible that you know what we were thinking last november david prawn comes in fixes the defense things get a lot better this team still goes three and nine four and set four and eight this year but but the difference to me is this mentality and it was it was shown perfectly on that drive the other thing that was shown perfectly on that drive ben bryant cam johnson aj henning and what they oh, brought yeah. to this team this year. And um, I like those guys have been like all, all the credit in the world to them for coming to NU for staying at NU and for what they've put together this year. I like Cam was a revelation in this game. Um, AJ and Ben have been all, all three of them have been there all year. Um, but this is, this is, this was, significantly different from what we've seen in the past from Northwestern. I think it's really important to call that out. I think with everything that we missed on before the season, um, as, as far as, you know, what we were projecting the season to be, and we missed on uh, many things and people who want to show receipts, we're, we'll eat that. I mean, we definitely did not see the season coming. We were on Bryant and Henning and uh, Johnson um, that those three 
could come in and really turn things on, and they absolutely did this season. And it really showed up in this game against Illinois. I mean, the cap to their Northwestern experience, at, at least, you know, until the bowl game. It's it's funny, like, aside from the obvious reasons, the most annoying thing about the game that Casey Washington had on the other side uh, of the ball yeah. is that Cam I, Johnson... I wasn't ready to talk about him yet. No, okay. I'm just saying, it's just that... Cam Johnson's numbers are enormous in this game, and they're just Casey Washington's are are even more enormous. But it's like Cam had seven for one twenty four; he was on fire in this game. And like that touchdown catch, he went up and got that. Um, and obviously, we know this is coming off of he had a monster game against Purdue. I mean, this is a guy who's played in his sixth year of college football, and you could argue he's playing the best football of those entire six years right now. Um, just big catch after big catch after big catch. Everything you said, Scuzz, about that drive at the end of the <clears throat> first half, I think of the faith in Bryant, and then I think of just the concept of faith in players in general, mm-hmm. because I was going back and watching the highlights again, yet again, right before we potted, and can't overstate enough how enormous Jack Olson's field goal with three minutes left was in this game. That was the difference in the football game at the end of the day. And Olson had missed one short from nearly the same distance earlier in the game. That's a great point, John. And Braun had the faith to be like, it's just to tell the milkman, go out there. I've got 100%. You're going to hit this. And he did. And he totally hit a clutch. And it's funny, like Olson's. He has two. He has three misses on the entire season, and two were dead on short. He clearly has like a ceiling on his range, um, at least right now. And he was right around that area. And Braun was like, "Nope, you you've got this. Go out and hit it." And that's a situation where if he doesn't hit it, Illinois is looking at pretty good field position. But he did hit it because he's good enough to do it. And Braun had faith in him to do it. Um, this game, it's so funny. I think. Twitter was talking so much in hindsight about how this game, and we were part of it too, this game took years off of all of our lives, et cetera. But in some ways, to me, it was almost perfect. We talked last week about the fact that this season was starting to fall into the category of the truly great and special Northwestern seasons. And that last week was the game where Northwestern just didn't play their best football on either side of the ball and still found a way to win. And it was like that box checked. This was the batshit crazy football game box checked, okay? And when when we say this, I think for, for maybe some of the, the younger listeners, the younger generation, the current students, like Big Ten West football obviously has this certain reputation. But all of us who went to school in the late 90s, early aughts, the early to mid-aughts were marked by football games like this. Just mm-hmm. these ludicrous shootouts that Northwestern would find a way to win. Lest we forget, one of the greatest games in Northwestern football history, the Instant Classic in 2000, Michigan scored 51 points in that game and lost. So, like, there's, there's plenty of history of there being games like this in special seasons. <clears throat> and it's just like... There's a magic to games like this. And yes, in the moment, it takes years off of all of our lives. And it was up and down and back and forth and a total shootout. 
but we're not going to remember it that way. Just like we don't remember 5451 from 2000 that way. We're going to remember this as a crazy shootout win in a magical special Northwestern season. I'll tell you the game I do remember in that way, and that's the 2009 um, Outback Bowl uh, mm-hmm. against Auburn. And like North, like spo- spoiler alert: Northwestern loses this game. But um, for for anyone who who didn't see that and wants to experience just an absolutely batshit nutso game, um, go back, go go watch, go find a, a ten minute highlight recap of that game because it was preposterous and that that's the only other time that i have had the feeling that i had watching illinois of what wow i thought this game had ended six times already um even even with 54 51 there was there was only like one moment where i thought it was over and then it wasn't um but that that offering game was um just over and over and over again. You thought you, 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 you and in that, and in that case, um, you know, I kept thinking Northwestern had lost, and ultimately, eventually, they did. But this there time were like around, three it, it, different times that we had lost that game, and and then we didn't. Yeah, and then and like this game, it felt like there were three different, three or five, six different times we had won the game, and then we hadn't. Um, and it is it it is that it is magic, John. Like there's a. I mean, you mentioned 54, 51. I'll, I'll dip into another one from the 2000 year. And that's, you know, victory right against Minnesota. Um, there's the Wisconsin game from earlier that season. There's what the triple overtime against Michigan state a couple of years back. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are, there are many games like this in, in, in Northwestern lore. It's part of what makes being a Northwestern, uh, it's part of what makes being a college football fan fun is that these games happen, but um, it feels like we have had, I feel like we've had more of them, <laughs> more of our share than than the average um, the average fan over the past twenty five years. Um, but it is what makes it fun, and that and like for this to be the the exclamation point on this magical, unexpected, glorious uh, ride of a season is um, is fantastic. Well, I, I think on that note, um, and we can go back to to more granular details about the game in a bit, but I think it's time for us to get to our, our segment, uh, our Lake the Posts presented by Teamworks Media segment, uh, where we're going to try to put this game into, into historical context. Um, Jay had sent us a number of great stats and great uh, points coming from this game. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, a couple things to note as, as we go into this, you know, we, we knew going in, this was a game that, you know, Illinois w- was fighting for bowl eligibility and and we kept them from doing that. Um, this game had the most points ever in a Northwestern Illinois game. Just, I mean, it, that was wild. The, um, the, the closest uh, the closest competitor was in that 2000 season where North Northwestern won that game, sixty one twenty one. Yeah, just just wild. Most points we've ever scored in Champaign, which is pretty amazing because. There have been some times where good Northwestern football teams put it on Illinois, and I was surprised that we had not topped that number even in Champaign. Um, but I, I, I think you know we talked about last week the how how there really hadn't been too many Northwestern Illinois games with like real stakes, right? And you know we had already gotten bowl eligible. Uh, with with the big win the week before against Purdue, 
but you know Illinois coming into this game needed the win to get bowl eligible and you know now with with this loss Illinois is now two and three um since 95 when they were playing for bowl eligibility against us and um, yeah, I was, go ahead I was just saying on the other side of that we are Obviously, we didn't need it in this game, but but in games where we did come in needing a sixth win, um, Northwestern is four and one at the same time. So like that that's kind of a nice comparison from a when the chips are down kind of kind of situation of what this rivalry looks like. Yeah, right. And and also the fact that this quote unquote rivalry is a big brother, little brother rivalry. And for two years, we were disconnected from that because of just the dark place that this football team went to but as those numbers reinforce good northwestern teams always beat illinois and northwestern's been good for a stretch heading into this dark period right and even the dark period of the last four years includes that coco asthma game we talked about where northwestern still put it on illinois and so in that sense it kind of felt like the the writing of the ship and I mean, it, it just kind of, it again, like those numbers highlight the fact that Northwestern has just been so strong in this rivalry recently. And that part of the reason it's not memorable, like I said, I was surprised to find out that this was the most points. I figured we'd have put 52 on Illinois at some point down in Champaign at some point when they were down and we were up. But <clears throat> I think to your point about stakes, Sam, right, like we we talked about last week, the fact that this game, there are few times where there are stakes in a way for both teams, right? Like Illinois is playing for bowl eligibility, but this, in the course of this game, it f- like felt like the stakes were huge. I know that that wasn't actually true, but to every Northwestern fan watching this game, it felt like the stakes were enormous. Like this, it felt like this game was everything. And for Northwestern to pull out a win in a game like that in this fashion just makes it even more special. You know, it's wild, you know, looking back all the way to 1995, Illinois has not won three in a row against us. They, they have won two in a row several times, but they have not held the hat for more than two years. Or, or even the Sweet Sue Tomahawk. I mean, going back to 95, there has not been a single uh, three-game winning streak for Illinois. It, it does put into context the... I don't know, the despair of the longtime Northwestern football fan because the all-time series against Illinois, Northwestern is still, what, two games down in the all-time series? And to your the, the point you just made, Sam, like we've, we've dominated since 95. A total record, I think, is 19 and 10 mm-hmm. since, since 95. Um, so we've won two-thirds of the games, and we still, we still have work to do. Two, two more wins to close the gap um, for the all-time series. Um. The other thing Jay sent us was kind of his top five games in this series going back. So, I, like, you know, I think you guys made the comment off the top, like, this is probably the most memorable game in this series for for any, you know, <laughs> any of the past ones. Um, briefly, you know, Jay mentioned when we had him on last week, the Purple purple Grape game, um, uh, an upset of uh, Illinois that resulted in the, you know, laking the posts and him disappearing on his dad for a while. But... um a couple other games worth noting um, that were on his list: ninety-five and ninety-six. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think these games probably resonate to a lot of folks because those are those are not years where Illinois was great. Um, 
but those were really critical games at the end of the season to cement Northwestern as Big Ten champ. And um, both of them were close affairs, 17-14 in 95 and 24-20 in 96. Um, 96 being a game where uh, Darnell Autry, the starting running back, was uh, injured and his brother Adrian Autry had to come in to spell him. Not not brother. Oh, not what? No, no relation. That's, Adrian Autry had no relation to Darnell Autry. Uh, things, things I was, you know, things I learned at this age. Um, wow. (laughs) All right. Well, okay. Retract that statement. Regardless, um, starting, starting running back, uh, all big 10, uh, Darnell Autry not available. They, you know, Northwestern, Northwestern wins on the backs of the backup. Um, but both those games were critical for Northwestern winning, uh, the big 10 championship in those two seasons. Similarly in 20, uh, in 2000, um, Northwestern needed the win over Illinois the last week of the year to, to, to get their share of the Big Ten title that season. And maybe even more importantly, they had just the week prior had a preposterous loss at Iowa. So Iowa was the worst team in the Big Ten that season. And um, basically like wrote the book on how to defend the, the, the 2000 Northwestern offense um, and totally shut us down in Iowa city. It was a, I was there. It was, it was, I was there. I was there also. It's the most, bru- <laughs> it's the most brutal Northwestern game I've, I've, I've experienced um, for a lot of different reasons, but um, that like coming off of that loss, Northwestern absolutely needed the next, the next game to get back on track. Um, and then of course also to, to, uh, to win a share of the conference title. So those, those are three games in 95, 96 and 2000 that had, very, very important stakes for Northwestern that, um, that they came through. So I like all told when you, when you bucket that with the bowl eligibility stats that we mentioned a year ago, like, or a second ago, a lot of these rivalry games and rivalry week in college football, like I think about when, when West Virginia was, um, number two in the BCS and went to pit and just, and lost in absurd fashion, like, like 12 to seven or something, just Mm -hmm. completely unfathomable, unfathomable loss the times that um you know the same thing has happened to they like whoever's favored in michigan ohio state often loses um there are the 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 kick six um auburn game over alabama there's so many of these examples where in rivalry week the team that's not supposed to win gets the other one and in in our in our series it's, it's typically not been the case and it's um this is, this was a good reminder of it that that you know whatever the stakes may be whether it was this year where it was very much more of like the emotional momentum like we need this win because we've lost this game the last two years um or when it's bowl eligibility or when there's a championship on the line northwestern has um, held serve and has has taken care of business uh, in this rivalry yeah I mean obviously a couple of those games of course like the Rose Bowl seasons like Rose Bowl citrus bowl like those are there are huge stakes and this was a season ending game so like it factors in right like those those games do really matter um but i think the like the x factor for this one is just that the game itself was so like ludicrously yes. stupid the entire, yeah. the entire game and that's <laughs> that's kind of what what bumps the whole thing up it's hard for me to I mean, obviously, we're all in a really positive frame of mind. And yeah, I know, like, there were, like, gut punch moments of this game. 
But it's hard for everything at this point not to be eclipsed by how incredible this season was and how just on a high Northwestern Nation is. That this season was so fantastic that it happened against expectations. Um, so it's hard for me not to wax poetic thinking about the game. And it's hard for me to not to look at individual elements of the game and individual performances without kind of both waxing poetic and thinking long-term in a positive frame of mind. So like defensive line being a point of reference. Um, obviously like the defensive line had two sacks in this game. Jalen Pate had one. Anto Saka had one. Um, obviously like pressure was pretty good. It wasn't amazing in this game. Run defense was stout as it has been all season. Um, it continued to be stout in this game. Illinois, again, had a receiver who was, had there been a roof on the stadium, he would have torn the roof off. That's the kind of game that Casey Washington had. And, um, and, that, and that was before the 80-yard touchdown. Right, and that's, I mean, it, it is what it is, right? But Illinois could never run the ball. I mean, like, Northwestern's run defense was stout the entire game. Um, and they put that in, and I just look at the defensive line, and that all culminated after the game. Carmine Bastone's dad um, posted something that we retweeted. I don't know if he took the photo or he just like had it. Someone gave it to him and he retweeted it of the entire defensive line rotation posing with the hat. And Joe, it's Joe Burrow style, I might add, with the yeah, cigars. It's cigars with, with in their cigars. Mouths. They all have cigars in their mouths. It's, un- it's, it's unbelievable for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's just the greatest photo ever. As soon as we got that photo, we made it our new banner for the top of the page. It's just an absolutely elite photo. It's an all-timer. But the other thing that's really special is the photo is basically all of the guys who've started and played on the defensive line for most of the season, right? It doesn't include um, both of the true freshmen who we talked about who each played a couple of times but did not exhaust their redshirt eligibility it's the the 12 guys who played the the meat of the steps the entire game the entire season and that's the point 12 guys and tons of those guys are back next year tons of them well it's, and i just i like i know you're alluding to it i want to be yeah. really explicit and intentional in 2021 his first year as defensive coordinator Jim O'Neill played four of 13 linebackers. I don't know what the numbers were on the defensive line, but there was a mentality on the Northwestern defense the last two years to not rotate players, to not play a lot of depth. That was a train wreck, not just in the moment, but in developing players for the future. And we have seen this staff and David Braun completely change that mentality and it is very welcome. Oh, it's unbelievable. And you fold Christian Smith into that and the way he rotates and uses all these guys across the defensive yep. line. And that's the point. Like, you look at this picture and you have, for example, someone like Sean McLaughlin, who I believe, I think this was his last year. And that's a guy who made awesome contributions all season on this defensive line. Um, but... You look at the vast majority of these guys, the vast majority of these guys have eligibility. And then you have two massive recruits who we thought we were going to have to rely on this season who didn't even play. And they get folded into this room. And you look at you look at all this and you're like, are there things that they could have done better? Sure. 
Like, we would have liked them to get to the quarterback a couple more times in this game in a game where, again, Paddock threw for 330, right? But look at the trajectory of this defensive line. It's a rocket ship. From where this defensive line unit was at the start of the season, it was just a constant up arrow the entire season. And you forget, like, guys like Anto Saka, he's still really young, even right now. And then we have two marquee defensive tackles who didn't even have to burn their red shirts this year. They get folded into the mix, right? It's suddenly like this core where depth and stratification across tackle and across end was an issue. Now it's just like hope. It's hope and possibility. It's like, I can't wait to see more Aiden Hubbard. I can't wait to see more Michael Kilbane. I can't wait to see if... Carmine Bastone and PJ Spencer, these former walk-ons, have another leap inside of them, and on and on and on. Um, so, I mean, I, I look at this, and I, I look to me that photo represents this. It's just like hope and possibility for the future. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we could keep waxing poetic about uh, this game for oh, oh, I will. Would you like long. me to? Please, would you like please, me to? Because go ahead. I, I'm happy to proceed. Uh, here's another one. Same kind of thing. Okay. We talked about it. I think it was last pod, but it could have been the one the week before, but I think it was last week that again, coach Northwestern football recruiting. He's been on the pod before sent us all these great, um, stats showing that when you really look at the special teams, you're like, holy cow, the special teams are so good this year because you might focus on a punt that didn't go as far as you wanted it to go. But or a kickoff that didn't go out of the back of the end zone. But when you look at it, teams just aren't returning the ball. And when they are, they're not getting yards. And it's it was enough time to stop and blink and be like, oh my God, that's right. This coverage unit is so flipping good. And then they were out of their minds in this game. Um, and it was obviously, you have Ray Niro recovering that muffed punt. And it should be said, We've talked about this before with Hunter Renner. That's a guy who's had an up-and-down season. But man, does he get his best punts at the most important times. And we talked about that he got his most clutch punt in against Purdue when the wind was at its craziest, and that led to a muff. And he got one of his best punts against Illinois in the fourth quarter, and it led to a muff. And Ray Niro, classic example of a guy where if you watch his recovery he dives on it once, has it squirt out into a pile of like five other guys where it should just stay. But then it squeaks out of that pile. And by that point, he's gotten up and is looking for opportunity again. And he dives on it. It's just an absolute hustle play. Um, and of course, we talked about Olsen already. And that, you know, that folding into the amazing performance of the special teams unit. But I think the play we are all going to remember, and for me personally, it's the play that I'll always associate with this game above everything else, is the fumble on the kickoff um, that Garner Wallace returned into the end zone for a touchdown. And in terms of this thing about hope and possibility for the future, we've talked for weeks about how the core of this special teams coverage unit it literally is the future. It's guys like Braden Bruss and Grayson Metz and Braden Turner and Evan Smith. Um, 
and um, Robert Fitzgerald. It's all of these guys, these young guns, who are all future starters. And Bruss just, he's done it twice. He did it to Nick Singleton earlier in the season, and he did it in this game. He just flew in there and blew the guy up and forced the fumble. And you watch all these guys swarm around it, and then Wallace picks it up and trucks it into the end zone. And it's like, it's such a feel-good moment, and we put it on there. Like, Mac Uline was out on there, and he sees, even though he's away from the play, he knows that Bruss forced the fumble. And when Wallace piles into the end zone, and it's all just chaos and bodies, he immediately goes looking for Bruss, and he finds him, and it's such a great moment. We put it up on Twitter. You can go look at it. Um, but these these guys are all the future. You like Names like Uline, Bruss, Smith, Turner, Fitzgerald, this is the future. So when you look and you're like, man, I hope we can keep this going, oh, there's talent to burn on this team. Like the next wave is ready to pick up the torch of this special season and carry it forward. Uh, I'm I'm gonna do something very strange right now and just give like I want to I want to talk for thirty seconds about Illinois' quarterback because I thought I thought John Paddock was exceptional in this game. Yeah, absolutely. I I really don't understand how he wasn't the starter for the whole season. Um. Now he did throw two picks. Um, I, like that seemed to be a problem for um, Luke Altmeyer as well. But um, I like th- there are a lot of a lot of people bemoaning the um, Brett Biel. Like this is back to square one with Brett Bielema, and and you know all the goodwill of the last few years has been lost. And obviously, like Ryan Walters leaving, the secondary leaving for the NFL. Like those those are some big changes that, but like. I don't think Illinois is going away. And that, that's why I wanted to hit on this. Like, like I, I think, I think Paddock's career is done whatever, but like, I, I don't, I don't think Illinois is necessarily going away unless some weird situation happens where Bielema ends up in Iowa city as head coach in the next, in the coming weeks. But um, I like this to the, to some of the points we were making during the, during the, um, the late, the post segment, like I think this rivalry might have some juice in in the years to come which would be um kind of interesting and unexpected but we'll i mean we'll see what happens there but i just i i wanted to give a little bit of of you know um tip of the cap i guess like obviously casey washington had an incredible game but uh tip tip of the cap to 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 paddock and um how well he performed in this game you know a guy that is is typically not um a tough matchup for nu you know not extending plays with his legs just operating from the pocket really effectively, really efficiently, good throws, smart throws, um, dicing us a bit, uh, on the back end where we've been, we've been pretty strong all year. So, um, again, just tip of the cap. Well, I, as I, long I as we're tipping, tip, you tip of ahead. the top hat, yeah. the top hat. <laughs> yes. which, of which we have and, and are wearing and, and right. squint of the monocle while I'm at it. Indeed. <laughs> indeed. Um, as, as long as we are talking about Illinois' quarterback, let's return to Northwestern's quarterback. Particularly yeah. because, Scuzz, to give you credit for uh, putting the proper spin on some stats that the Big Ten Network put up oh. on on Twitter, where they basically were like, here are the top ten quarterbacks in, uh, in the Big Ten this season. And Ben Bryant, first of all, was outside of that in total yards by, like, what, three total yards? By, by, fi- by five yards. By the way, um, 
or no, by two yards. He was like, so he's number 11. Like of the, they, they, they listed the top 10 quarterbacks in the big 10. And the tag on the tweet was these guys have been slinging it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just total yards on the year. And I was like, how has Ben Bryant not in that list? So I started, you know, Googling stats, et cetera. And so number 10 on the list and no shade to him, but number 10 on the list is, is uh, Indiana's quarterback, Brandon Sorsby with like uh, 1,587 yards. And I was like, huh. And, and Ben Bryant has 1,585 yards. So like he's two off. So at first I was like, wow, guys, like, like great job. Arbitrary, arbitrarily cutting the list off at 10 when there's, Vert like essentially no difference when, between numbers when the starting quarterback for the fifth best team in the yeah. Big Ten isn't on there's, it. There's no difference between ten and eleven. Well, what's funny, like Fox Sports tabulation has Soresby um five yards lower. But like regardless, Soresby played in ten games this year. And the number eight guy, Gavin Wimsett, played in or the number nine guy, Gavin Wimsett, played in twelve games this year. When you do it per game properly Ben Bryant is number seven in the Big Ten, averaging almost 200 yards per game ahead of the likes of Drew Aller, I might add. Um, <laughs> and so, like, I like it was annoying to me, but it was uh, it was nice to take a little bit of a run through Ben Bryant's stats, who has been um, a great quarterback for Northwestern this year and uh, a guy that has has kind of bucked the the mobile quarterback um, mantra that I think we've heard about NU in the past that like, yeah, well, we have to have a mobile quarterback for this offense to work. Yada, 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 yada. A, a lot of credit goes to the offensive line and how, how well they have played, how, how well they have um, improved and developed throughout the course of this year. But, um, but Brian has been spectacular getting the ball out early. Identify, ident- he identifies the blitz and, and where the hot read is. Um, he does a really good job with that. He throws a beautiful, a beautiful deep ball, like things that we frankly haven't seen um, very much at Northwestern. Um, and I like just a ton of credit to this dude. Who, you know, he obviously battled through, battled through injury and there were some question marks as to, you know, whether it was going to be him or Sullivan at very point, various points leading into the year and then throughout the year. And I just like th- this dude has um, been enormous in, in helping Northwestern transform and have this magical season. Absolutely. And again, like I want to clarify because we've said this a couple times and I know there's there's a lot of this like being pro Ben Bryant and the amazing season that he's had does not have to mean denigrating Brendan Sullivan. Agreed. And I feel like that there have been people that have gone down that even without intending to going down that road. And it's like, lest we forget, like one of the very best performances any Northwestern quarterback put on this year was Brennan Sullivan's performance against Maryland and Brennan Sullivan didn't get to play the bad Purdue and Illinois defenses. And that's again, that's not no shade against Ben Bryan who was great in these games, but it's like, you should look and be like, as we said before, like I think about the Iowa game and I think about the moxie Brendan Sullivan showed in that game and that they, those guys against a defense that, you know, Rutgers scored no points against, for example, um, was hammering, you know, Northwestern was hammering their heads against that Iowa defense the entire game and played their best football at the very end. And I think we all think that if that 52-yard field goal hadn't gone in, Brendan Sullivan was taking Northwestern into overtime against that Iowa defense to win that football game. And that is how we all felt. And a win in that football game, it would be Northwestern versus Michigan. 
this right. weekend. Yeah, God, I mean, that's it's like, bonkers. It's, all, it's so bonkers. It's, it's, it's so... all like that close. And I mean, that's so. I mean, that's the thing. Like in that moment, and then we were all happy when Ben Bryant came back, and Ben Bryant came back and has been lights out. It's great. But I mean, again, I'm like. Brendan Sullivan is probably the future. I feel good about that. Like, again, is he perfect? No. Is he improving? Yes. Was he awesome against Maryland? Yes. Did he fight like hell against Iowa? Yes. And Ben Bryant was great. We've had two great quarterbacks this season, and it's a big part of the reason that this magic has all happened. Um, And while we're talking about quarterbacks and protection and hope for the future— this offensive line is an offensive line that has had its ups and downs. And like in this game, they gave up two sacks right up the middle. Why? Because Illinois has a first round defensive tackle in Jerzon Newton. And Jerzon Newton is going to be, again, that, that guy was an absolute monster. He's going to play a lot on Sundays. And he split the middle of the line a couple times and he got in there. Aside from that, the protection was great. Um, and it's part of the reason Brian had a couple of those huge clutch throws was because the protection was so good. And one thing that's really important for people to think about when you're thinking about this line and where we're going and what the future is, since the second half of the UTEP game, Northwestern started the same two tackles, and that's the kind of stability at tackle that Northwestern has not had in a long time. And we all know like Peter Skaronsky, but having a level of stability where you've got two bookends who are going wire to wire pretty much the entire season like Josh Thompson and Caleb Tiernan did this season, is a special level of stability. And those two guys got exponentially better as the season went on. Because at this point, Thompson still only played less than a full season of college football in his career. And Tiernan's played barely more than that because he had spot duty last season. Over the last month of the regular season, the last month, those two guys... Your two tackles graded out both top six in the Big Ten in performance for offensive line metrics. Top six in the Big Ten and top 25 in the nation for guards in the power five for guards and tackles. And you might be looking and if you don't follow offensive line closely, you're like, that sounds pretty good. That sounds like two guys young guys who are really ascending and getting better the more that they play are those guys around next year y'all they might be around for the next two years (laughs) northwestern might be looking at an unprecedented level of tackle stability to build this line around Um, and when you factor like dom d'antonio might be back next year jordan knox like josh preeb is going to be moving on probably to potentially the nfl but jordan knox partially because of Duke Olgis' injury, and, and Duke Olgis was back in this game, which was great to see. But Jordan Knox put on the number 93 and played, you know, basically as an eligible heavy tight end slash lineman for a lot of the season and got a lot of quality reps. He's almost certainly going to start at guard next year. That's almost your whole line right there. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's it's an, it's an ascendant group. Well, I, it's, it's, it's really important to... to go back to the beginning of this season because you know we we knew there was no continuity on the line there there were very like this group had not had like not even three of them had played together significantly for a lot of a lot of snaps um and early on like it looked bad and i know i i talked about like 
Kurt Anderson has had some really great individual development success stories, but he hasn't had a great line at Northwestern. And I, I don't think you can look at the line this year and say they were great. Um, no, they had their ups and downs. Well, and, and especially because of the sack numbers, right? The sack numbers were brutal. Now, some of that is, you know, you start a new guy, Ben Bryant, who's not, who's not particularly fleet of foot, but um, the foundation is, is established for, I mean, again, we've seen tremendous growth from, um, players across this line throughout the course of this year and a, an opportunity to go into next year and to really springboard. And if, you know, Kurt stays with the program, you know, ne- next year is a, if, if this year was like a little bit of a litmus test, I think next year is a real opportunity for him to show that he can build a great offensive line. Um, and I like, we've, we've talked in the past about how the recruiting on the line has increased tremendously with him coming to Northwestern after Adam Cushing left. We've, we've talked about how the, the, the development, the performance, the play in season has gotten better. Um, and we have an opportunity to see it maybe come together next year in a way we haven't, we haven't seen in the past, but yeah, like the individual effort of, of, of Thompson and Tiernan certainly has been spectacular to see. Um, I think there's still some questions at the center position. Um, I, I, I know Rather let Rather wasn't starting for a couple of games and then he was starting again. And so like, the, the, you know, there's just, there's some interior, um, you know, line in ins and outs, but, um, yeah, John, I, I, I totally agree. Like the, the potential and the hope that, that the stability of the tackle position gives us, I think, I feel like if you go, if you go back over the course of the last, what, eight, eight or nine years, there's usually been one returning stalwart tackle and then, or, or an heir apparent. And then, but rarely have you had two guys rarely, if ever. I mean, you right. had the consistency of Slater for how many years and then Skaronsky just in the shoes. So, I mean, yeah. you had the left side just locked down but, for the past eight years. But Sl- so Slater was amazing in 19. He didn't play in 20 though. Oh, that's right. true. That's and true. I don't think you had the, you didn't have the stability on the opposite side. And then, right. um, in, you know, as Skaronsky was really coming into his own in, in 22, you know, we, we was in and out with injury that same year. He was, he was, he was good. He was a good offensive tackle. Um, you had Vogel before that, I believe who again was good, but in and out a um, little bit up and down. Like, you know, I just, like, again, just haven't had the, you haven't had the consistency, um, and certainly health is a, is a huge component of that. But um, yeah, I'm really excited what the, what this group has shown this year. Vo- Vogel's a great example because Vogel was a guy who, because like Skronsky and Slater, both like from the jump. I mean, like Skronsky from literally the first game. Everyone's oh yeah. Like, bo- that bo- guy's bo- going to play in the NFL. Yeah. Both but of them. Like, <laughs> but, right. But like Vogel was a guy where like, lest we all free, like, Again, like we've mentioned this before, Gunnar Vogel is playing professional football right now. Like this merged XFL, like USFL, like Gunnar Vogel is going to be a part of that. He's been factoring in for both of those, for those leagues for several years now. And he's a guy, I would say pretty clearly, both Tiernan and Thompson at this point are ahead now of where Gunnar Vogel was at the end of his freshman year. But that's the thing about Gunnar Vogel. He got better every single year. Well, for all those people, like for the, you know, the Kurt Anderson, if, you know, for the people who are doubters, like this is it right here. You've got a core that like, like again, Tiernan and Thompson have all kinds of eligibility. 
Like, these guys can be bedrocks. So it's like, I would love to see Anderson around to, like, work with this unit and build this core out. Because, right, like, there is this opportunity for stability here. And, and again, you're talking about two guys just with the tackles that, like, these guys are, are an upward arrow. Like, they're going up and up and up. Again, last month of the season, these have been two of the nation's best offensive tackles. So, like, let's see. Let's see where this can go it, from here. It's just all so exciting. It, it's important to note, too, like, and this is not to take away from any of the, in, you know, individual achievement of these players or or um, or the offensive line, but the the help that the O-line has gotten this year from tight ends and running backs has been better than in past seasons. Um, last year, I, like, the number of, of holds or missed blocks from tight ends was pretty brutal. And I'd say at the beginning of, of this 2023 season, we saw some of that as well, but it's, it's gotten a lot better down the stretch. And then the emergence of Anthony Tyus as a, in the, I mean, this, this was a showcase for Tyus in this game of his incredible power as a downhill runner. And then his excellence as a, um, as a blocking back um, in passing situations. And I thought he did a, a tremendous job um like some of those big down downfield passes, whether you know whether it was the the long one to Henning or, um, I, th- I think one of the big ones to Johnson, he was involved in too. But um, the the protection writ large has been awesome, and he's been a, he he and the tight ends have been a piece of that as well. It was it it is awesome, and I think of this again hope for the future that we have this so clearly defined thunder and lightning attack next season with Tyus and Joseph Hyman. And at the same time, the ability to say that Cam Porter played really, I would say his best football since the end of his freshman year at the end of this season, right? Like ran healthiest, strongest, fastest with the best numbers, like in the best moments at the end when it counts. And hopefully like the, the bowl game will be like the, the crown on that. Um, I, it it's it's worth noting, like John, like you've kind of alluded to Porter and Pre potentially moving on, but both those guys could come back next year if they wanted. Yeah, um, they're like the COVID year is still in play for a lot of guys. Like Ben Bryant, this was year this was year six, including COVID year, so he's 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 moving on for sure. Um, I think the same might be true of Henning, but um, there's. You know, we're we're not really going to know until after the bowl game. So many of these things, because I think I think a lot of people are going to like. Obviously, everyone is really excited to figure out where do we go in. Oh, actually, Henning Henning's got another year of eligibility if he wants it. Um, but th- there's going to be a lot of people wondering. You know, obviously, this next week is all about where does Northwestern end up bowl wise. Um, after the bowl game, it's going to be really interesting to to sit back and evaluate like what happens with the coaching staff. Are there changes? Are there not? Um, I personally hope there are some, as I, I, so I, I, I almost guarantee the, there will be. Yes, in, I, in some, I, in some fashion. I also almost guarantee there will be. Um, I don't, we don't have any inside information on that yet, right? But um, I, like, th- th- there's probably going to be some change there, and then the the big question is who comes back? Portal. What 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 is the nature of this team? And then and then portal after that, right? So there's a lot of it's going to be a long time before we can really assess like the long term future, but. Um, Given where we were three months ago, um, my God, the health of Northwestern football is 
astronomically <laughs> improved. Um, I, 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 I mean, it's it's so crazy. I'm laughing now. I mean, I'm laughing for any number of reasons. I'm laughing now because somehow to this point in the season, to this point in the pod, we haven't talked about a guy who legitimately might be one of the two or three best linebackers in the entire Big Ten. <laughs> and somehow I'm not talking about, and again, this is like no shade. This is just the kind of season we've had. This is no shade to Bryce Gallagher, the number three tackler in the entire Big Ten conference, who is should be a, a all Big Ten player, all Big Ten third team, all Big Ten second team. Like Bryce Gallagher has been a rock for us inside. Um, and this is all just to say, it's getting difficult to like, the seasons Andrew Mueller is having is ludicrous. This is a guy who is sixth in the Big Ten in tackles, seventh in the Big Ten in total tackles, eighth in the Big Ten in interceptions. Um, as a linebacker. As a linebacker. That's absurd. The, the one against Illinois was insane. When they did the review of it and we're all looking, we're like, well, we'll see if it'll stand or not. And then you're like, oh, my God, he caught that football straight up. How did he get his hands under that football? Um, and he's something like 13th in the Big Ten in sacks, too. He does everything. And he's one of those guys where, I mean, I like he's like he's got another year of eligibility. And please, for the love of God, Xander, please come back. We <laughs> Please come back. Um, but he's going to have to do the full NFL draft evaluation because I can't think like, I mean, everyone's got to be looking at his like the film on him is just insane. Like what can't he do? He was sneakily one of the Big Ten's West's best linebackers last year and then just hammered that out of the park this year. So I, I, it's just it speaks to the the game and the way that we're waxing nostalgic about all these different parts of the season and the future, everything, that bizarrely this guy who's been an absolute Superman for us this season, we haven't even discussed him in depth up until this point. It's just that's that's the kind of season this has been. Have you ever thought about building a Westlot Pirates-like community for your business? If so, we've got your solution. Teamworks Media, a brand marketing and content company, is here to help you tell your brand story better. Better yet, you can work directly with the founder, Jay Sharman, known on this podcast as Like the Posts. The same expertise he's brought to brands like ESPN, the Big Ten Conference, and Northwestern University are now available to you in an affordable way, directly with this Wildcat Superfan. Contact Jay directly at 312 312- 446-9435 or J at teamworksmedia.com to learn how to elevate your brand story. Well, I, I think on that note, we should um, talk a little bit about where we might be going from here. I mean, it it's championship week. We've got Iowa versus Michigan uh, coming up for the Big Ten title. Um, you know, still a lot yet to be decided as far as where Northwestern will go bowling. Uh, so I, I don't know if we want to just kind of talk about some of the possibilities. I mean, it, it seems like we're kind of looking uh, potentially two games out West, either you have a guaranteed rate bowl in Phoenix or uh, maybe the Vegas bowl uh, in ironically, Las Vegas. Um, it so, seems so to be just to, to like to hit it, to hit it kind of like chronologically and location wise, you've got, yeah. 
December 23rd in Vegas is one very strong possibility. December 26th, um, Detroit in the afternoon is possible. I think fairly unlikely at this point. Phoenix at night is another possibility. And then um, the the fourth one is, that, that is plausible is the Music City Bowl, which is on, um, I believe, the 30th. I've, seen, I've seen a couple people. I've seen a couple people say pinstripe might be in play, but probably not. Probably Rutgers not. is Rutgers is taking the yeah. pinstripe. Yeah, like for that's, sure. They're not. They're not looking that gift horse in the mouth. The yeah. I would. So I would map it out like this. So we. So I'll explain the total situation and probably really how this is going to break down, and then we'll tell you. We have little birds who are telling us things. I'm not saying we're the most plugged in people in the world, but we'll I'll end this by telling you what the little birds are telling us, and then we'll find out if, if we're right or not. Um, the way that this all maps out, initially when we mapped it out, we were basing the fact that, okay, if you look at all of the big bowls, right, either CFP or your CFP rotational bowls that aren't part of the CFP this the year. New Year's Six. The New Year's Six. You know Ohio State and Michigan are getting into that group. Now, we thought that it was pretty academic that Penn State would get into that group as well. That is probably not the case um, because of the way that the ACC championship game is working out um, and the Orange Bowl's mandatory tie with the ACC. Florida State is most likely going to beat Louisville, and then Louisville, Florida State will get into the CFP, and Louisville will probably get that Orange Bowl slot. Penn State will most likely be the team that is on the outside looking in. So Penn State then gets bumped to the Citrus Bowl, which will almost certainly bump Iowa to the ReliaQuest Bowl, formerly the Outback Bowl. Penn, Penn State could go Fiesta in that scenario. They could. But, yeah, but they, they could. Yeah. They could. Um, if, if this all breaks figure badgers to the music city that's what i would bet right now i would bet wisconsin is going to be in nashville um and then it basically breaks down to two spots for us either eras either in the desert either we're going to arizona or we're going to las vegas and the little birds we're hearing are saying las vegas so i think if we were going to put our money this would be las vegas uh, against it's a Pac-12 team, is that right? Yeah, and uh, it seems like that's uh, falling towards Utah, which you know I, I we we've seen this game a few years back in the Holiday Bowl. I'd, I'd rather not uh, see Utah here, but um, you know, hey, but bowl games are um, they look at they look at two things: they look at rematches and they look at repeat attendance, right? So like, right, this is why the Music City Bowl is pretty unlikely for Northwestern because you know it was a short five years ago that many of us, myself included, Sammy, you as well, made made our way to Nashville, right? Like that doesn't preclude a ton of people from showing up in Nashville again, but like music city bowl is maybe going to look at it. I I don't know when the last time Wisconsin was there, but um, they're probably going to get that. Wisconsin has been higher up on the the picking order. Yep. And then they're going to look at that fan base and you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the calculus that goes into this stuff. Right. So we, we all know that Northwestern finished fifth in the conference. We also know that they're not probably not going to get the fifth most lucrative or desirable bowl location. Right. Um, Vegas because like it doesn't matter anymore with ESPN owning all of them. They just want to set matchups. Yep, exactly. So Vegas and Arizona are two places we haven't been before. Um, Vegas against Utah. Like, I don't know. 
I like I, if, I, I don't know I want, that that would be an exciting matchup. I feel like I feel like it, it'd uh, be a home game for Utah. I mean, that's a, just a quick drive down from Salt Lake City. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Northwestern against um, Kansas in Arizona would be a more compelling matchup. Fun. So we'll we'll see what happens. I but um, I don't know. I, I just want to see the uh, us to play the Las Vegas Bowl against Utah just so Jared McGee can come out for the coin toss and <laughs> can be like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> Guest of honor. Hey. Is there a parade? I, Can we make him Grand Marshal? Jared, I'll like, you, shout out if you're out there. For the Holiday Bowl, we were in, I was with my family in a sports bar in Florida, scaring the rest of the bar with our screams as Jared McGee returned that fumble for a touchdown. I'll be in Florida with my family at a sports bar again for wherever bowl game this is. And uh, if it's against Utah, let's just run the entire thing back. So. Uh, but either way, I mean, the bottom line, though, is these are all good choices. Yeah, they Northwestern are. fans will have a blast going to any of these places. Yeah. I mean, it's all just gravy. Detro- yeah. Detroit like, or Nashville, I'm, I'm like, I'm a little, just because it would allow me to either make my way to one of those cities or potentially to Beer Miscuous. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, right. But uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. And, you know, by the time we come back next week, uh, we will know for sure. And, and honestly, like, I, I feel like, who we play doesn't matter as much. You know, we're getting the 15 extra practices. We're getting I, that, that time to get. And like, because, I'll be honest, Sammy, I, 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 I truly in my heart of hearts, I don't care where we go and I don't care who we play. Like the, the fact that Northwestern went seven and five and it's going to a bowl game and gets those <laughs> practices. Like yeah. this is, this could not be farther from the outcome I expected from this season. It's, it's I, like, I'm so happy. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm so happy. And, and, and can it, you especially imagine? because, especially because, like, you don't know opt outs and transfer portal yeah. and like so many. You know, the game is it's an exhibition at this point. Unless you're in the playoff, like people typically, you know, the the motivation isn't as high as it is for other games. Mm-hmm. But like the experience is there, mm-hmm. and you you breed that in in the program. You have that for recruiting. You have that for you know attractiveness in the portal it it yep. builds the program re- regardless of whether you win or lose well, when you talk about I mean, those 15 extra practices like like folks that's 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 those practices don't look like the practices that have been going on for the last three months like yes they prepare for the bowl game but let's be real none of these bowl games actually like quote unquote matter these practices are all about like building the reps and built like if, if Braun wants to install new stuff for 2024, it starts now. You, all those guys, John, that you mentioned on special teams that are the future that are bringing the heat, like they are going to get you, first team or, or one and a half team reps. Would um, you want any coach in the country to have these 15 practices more than David Braun right now oh yeah he's going to squeeze every drop out of these hell yes. i mean like the the fervor to which with which he's going to attack these 15 practices is going to be like absolutely unreal like it's going to be incredible um i can only imagine how excited those guys are uh, to, to to get working on all this stuff if you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. 
He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats! Do we quickly want to run around uh, the conference just to touch on the final week results? Um, sure. There's some, there's some really yeah. funny stuff. Maybe, can, yeah. we save fr- can we save Friday for last? Oh, well, let, let's save the back half of Friday for last. Let's start off with Penn Fair. State uh, 42-0 over Michigan State. Um, I, I mean, like, what did you expect, folks? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So on, on that note, Michigan State, Jonathan Allen, new head coach there, coming over from Oregon State. Early, early thoughts. I, I don't. We haven't really talked about that. Dude's done a hell of a job at Oregon State, and it seems like a bigger, better hire than I would have thought Michigan State could get. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, and credit to them for getting it done this quickly. They yeah. they needed to right the ship. Yeah, they identified their guy and they went after it and they and they and they landed him. And I mean, like, you know, the 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 coaching carousel. There's been a couple of surprise firings in the NFL already, um, and there are you know likely going to be weird, crazy things happening in college too. So, I mean, who, like, it, it 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 it's all a ge- it's a little bit of a game of chicken and a little and in a game of musical chairs kind of at the same time. Yeah, coaching carousel, gotta love it, right? Yeah. So like I like. Th- I'll put it this way. There's no effing way that Michigan State missed out on a better coaching hire by getting Jonathan Jonathan Smith now. Right. They have maximized what they could have done by being decisive and jumping on it right away. And that, like, credit to them. You mean they didn't go hire Mark Stoops and then 48 or 48 minutes later decide to get <laughs> Mike Elko? We can save and Mike, that for later. Mike Elko, which again, like not to, not to go down a rabbit hole, but Louis Vicaire was among others to smartly point out that anytime Duke makes a major coaching change, that's those are all guys who don't need to be grads to make a straight transfer to Northwestern. So there are those, you know, you, your eyes are definitely cast to Durham by the knock on of that yeah. one. Duke, Duke, uh, Vandy, and Baylor, high-profile guys in the portal already. Yeah. Uh, we'll come back to the other uh, Friday night, uh, the Friday afternoon game uh, in just a bit. But uh, turning to Saturday, Michigan beats Ohio State. Who won? Uh, 30-24. Um, I didn't watch too much of this game because I was uh, dealing with some car trouble and driving to Bermiscuous. But, uh, it, I mean. This was a good game. It was a good game. I mean, at the end of the day lost in all this still there. I mean, aided by the fact that he has literally the best player in college football to throw the ball to like McCord's numbers weren't that bad, but just like the Penn state game, you come away being like one of these teams quarterback is just way better than the other team's quarterback. And that's not so much JJ McCarthy played out of his mind in either game. It's just, J.J. McCarthy is heady and dependable and a veteran quarterback, and the other two teams do not have that guy. And Ohio State's quarterback against Michigan's defense, like, I just I just think that that dam was always going to fail at some point. Yeah, I mean, M- McCord had really good numbers. Um, his completion percentage, percentage left a little bit to be desired, but um, 
he was decisive. He tacked down, he tacked down field. He was relatively accurate. Um, there was, there was one pass where I, I was, I was frustrated. The announcers were fixating on like Kyle McCord, what a throw back shoulder. And I was like, there were yeah, two of them. Yeah. But he, when you brought that one up, there'd already been one. Yeah. But he threw it to the field side where the cornerback could have picked it off if he had just like turned and identified. Um, and it was Julian Fleming, uh, making an absolutely ludicrous body adjustment midair to catch the pass. So, um, but I like probably my favorite moment of this game is in like the last drive for Ohio State. Um, Gus Johnson n- noted like Detroit Lions fan Gus Johnson, I might add, said he, like his his exact words on the broadcast were. Marvin Harrison is the best player on the field. They have got to target him right here. I, I don't feel like you hear a play-by-play guy saying that kind of thing before a play very often. You hear color guys say that all the time, but color guys, sure. Um, right. It was just, it was it was just it was just interesting, and, and like for sure, Marvin Harrison Jr. was the best player on the field. Um, but Blake Corum and JJ McCarthy did just enough. Uh, Donovan Edwards as well with the, you know, the nice 34 yard pass he had on a, on a, on a halfback option. Um, they did just enough to, uh, to defeat what's probably the best Buckeye defense in five years. There it's for sure. A good defense. That was what kept Ohio state in the game. Yeah. And then, um, on the other side, yeah, I'd like just, you know, a, cu- a couple more completed passes and, and, you know, maybe this flips the other way, but it was, it was a good game. It was well fought on both sides. The funny part of this is that all the Ohio state people are apoplectic about Ryan day and the fact that he didn't, you know, go like kick a field goal or go for, I, I forget what he did wrong, but like he was, he was too conservative at some moment, you know, near midfield going for like punting it instead of kicking a field goal um, or going for it on fourth down. And they're all apoplectic. And, um, but I mean, it's my favorite thing in the world is like, it's, it's for people of our generation. It's John Cooper all all over over again. again. Yeah. At the end of the day, one game matters and he's not winning them. Yeah. Purdue beats Indiana 35, 31. Um, Oh, sorry. Sorry. What? One more thing on oh, Michigan, yeah, yeah, Ohio yeah. State. Just like Sharon Moore again. Like, oh yeah, fan- should be a head coach. Fantastic like, job, coach. I mean, this dude. Like the 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 silver lining of the Jim Harbaugh suspension stuff. Um, and I say silver lining because like this is just net good in general. Like I like there are no coaches that listen to us or or will probably ever listen to us. But like, goddamn, like. When you're playing your 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 non-conference cupcake games, like give your coordinators a chance to 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 run the show. Like Sharon Moore has had four games, four big games to be the guy leading this yeah. program, calling the shots, developing the like obviously Harbaugh was involved in developing the game plan, et cetera. But like Moore was the one executing, and he's four and zero in those games including Ohio state and Penn state, my God. And so I like, I just like you, you want to talk about developing coaches and giving people opportunities to succeed. And there's a, there's a whole like secondary piece where we could talk about like how college, college and pro football has failed to develop 
um, diverse coaching candidates because they just don't get these types of opportunities. Um, like everyone should do this at every, at every moment. Like, like Nick Saban, take a break when you guys play coastal, like play Charleston, you know, Southern or whatever, like let the OC or the DC run the show for a game for the love of God. It's just, it's a beautiful outcome and more has, has done phenomenally with it. And you can see, you can see his fingerprints on the way the game has transpired both this week, the Penn state game two weeks ago. Um, it's a great thing to see. And, hey, and yeah, he's going to be a head coach. Like if not next year, you, the year after, I mean, you wouldn't believe it, but sometimes when a coordinator comes in and then the keys to the car are unexpectedly thrust into his hands, he really steps up and meets the moment and, uh, <laughs> and makes special things happen. So, so I'm, well, so I'm told, well so struck, I'm told. John, well struck. So I'm told, uh, Purdue beats Indiana 35, 31. Um, Tom Allen relieved of his duties. Yeah. I yep. feel like we saw that coming, and that that's a shame because you know. They... Bye. I mean, Indiana's eating his buyout is sign of inflation. His buyout is larger than Charlie Weiss's buyout was, which is wild. Yeah, that's 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 insane. It's it is interesting that Purdue this year was ve- it was very much about like could Hudson Card and the offense carry them, and for a Ryan Walters coach team, like you just expect that to ultimately. Be, like you expect him to transform that into you know kind of a defensive minded team we'll see how that progresses but um it's uh yeah it's intriguing uh wisconsin goes to minnesota uh and takes pack paul bunyan's axe um these these keeping, next... it, does, it does keep minnesota theoretically it would have kept them out of uh bowl but because they were the top apr a uh, non uh, five win team Minnesota is eligible for a bowl game. We'll see if they uh, end up. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. They're first in line after James Madison and James uh, Madison and um, Jacksonville, Jacksonville state. state. The, the, the big one with this one is had Minnesota somehow pulled this game out. That probably would have locked us into the number five spot in the conference and number five in the pecking order. And we, that probably I'm guessing would have put us in Nashville. Um, but were but I mean like I said it doesn't really matter one way or the other I'm kind of taking this game and the next game I know you're going to bring up Sammy in that these involve two teams well and you could fold Wisconsin right into this too because they've been no peach up until this game but the two teams who lost these two games are two teams who absolutely face planted in the second half of the season and Minnesota is one of those uh, and, to answer uh, to answer an earlier question, the last time Wisconsin played in the Music City Bowl was two thousand and three. Wow! Yeah, yeah. So, book, book it. They're, book it. They're they're going to Nashville. Yeah, yeah. they are a hundred percent going to Nashville. That's wild. Uh, and finally, well, not finally, but uh, the last game on Saturday, Maryland beats Rutgers 42-24. I mean, Rutgers, what a great start. And boy, did they fall on their face the back half. I mean, of the this season. is a team that, to the extent that you can get rolled by Iowa this season, and almost no one can, <laughs> they did get rolled by Iowa. And then they got smoked by Maryland in this game. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, it's G- like... Gavin Wimsett had a really bad game. 13 of 34. Oof. Um, I think some some of that surely is that 
Tongue of Aloha had such a good game that it and so that's Hemby, a big hand passing record. And, and Hemby was a great runner, rusher, like had a great game running as well. Like they just forced Rutgers into um, being one dimensional, allowed them to kind of tee off on on Wimsett. Um, we've said it, but and we've said it before. You all listening are saying it right now. If we could just play this game again, if we could oh. just run it back, if Northwestern Rutgers, these two teams are on different planets than they were in that game. Yep. If we could only play it again. 100%. And then the last game we need to talk about. <laughs> the best for last. Oh. Let's, t- let's take it back to Friday. The f- the f- the Iowa funny- 13, Nebraska 10, a game which had the lowest over-under in recorded college football history, and the under hit. Not just, just the lowest. Even though it went to overtime. <laughs> not just the lowest. It, it did, did not go to, go to it, overtime. It did not go to overtime. Oh, it didn't go to overtime. No, right. but, the, but not just the lowest over-under of college football history. An over-under that went below the Brian Ferentz line. <laughs> and what I mean by that, for anybody who hasn't been paying attention, over the offseason... Iowa stipulated that Brian Ferentz and his offense at Iowa, or or Iowa holistically, no, knowing that Iowa's defense was going to average a touchdown a game, um, they had to score 25 points a game for Brian Ferentz to keep his job or to get some incentives or whatever. The total points that Vegas expected in this game for betting purposes were 24 and a half. <laughs> it's and it it's went under. Only 23 points were scored in this game. It's the most beautiful, hysterical, perfect ending to the saga that has been the Brian Ferentz experience in 2023. Um, and, he, and he kept Nebraska from bowling. And it keeps – is- like that's the other beautiful – I was telling my, kid, my kids my, – my son. So my, my son, Robbie, God bless him. You, like division three basketball could be on the television. He will not accept for an answer that I, that I don't have a preference of which team or the, it's always dad, which team are you rooting for? And I might say, ah, I don't really care. I don't like either of these teams or, Oh, I'm happy for both either one of them to win. No dad, which one are you rooting for? And so my <laughs> kids were grilling me earlier in this Iowa Nebraska game. Like, who are you rooting for dad? I was like, I want Iowa to win, but I want them to win in like the stupidest way possible. And I was explaining, I was trying to explain to them, right? Like I want, I want, I don't want Nebraska to score any points. They're like, but dad, you hate Iowa. I was like, yes, I know. But (laughs) there's, there's this really funny thing with point totals. And there's also this great thing of keeping Nebraska from being bowl eligible. And it all came to fruition and it was magical and wonderful. It was a Thanksgiving miracle. I just, I, (laughs) Iowa has wins by seven, six, nine, three, two, and three points this season. They played the third best team in the East and lost thirty-one nothing, and they're ten and two, and playing in the Big Ten championship game. It's the stupidest season ever. They are probably going to get obliterated by Michigan in this game, and Ch- honestly. Chuba Chuba Purdy, so so Chuba Purdy and Deacon Hill attempted the same number of passes, twenty eight passes. Purdy completed four more passes, but 
doubled Deacon Hill's average yards per attempt, 189 yards to 94, threw a TD and a pick to Hill's only one pick, and still lost the game. The the fitting end to all of this needs to be Michigan beating Iowa, forty five nothing. Yes, or just like just that. a yeah. just like annihilation. Because two things: one, because that's what should happen, and secondly, because everyone needs a final reminder of just how stupid this Iowa team is <laughs> when they are filling out their Big Ten Coach of the Year ballots. Because as I see it, the only man who's eligible because Harbaugh's not, who could potentially challenge what is, by all rights, David Braun's award, is Kirk Ferentz. So that's the question. Do we, I, is that, does that happen after the Big Ten Championship? I think it happens before. I think it happens before. Does it really? I think it happens tomorrow on the Tuesday. Well, well, I guess we will find out if it happens that early. I I could care less. I mean, I still, it's David Braun's award. If the Big Ten media wants to reward a guy, for keeping his son on staff, <laughs> altering his contract to require him to score twenty five points per game, and then for him to average what did what did what did Iowa average this year? Let's see. Um, I can't I can't do the math this fast in my head, but it looks like roughly eighteen points per game, wow. at best. At best, um, maybe less. If they want to reward that coach for winning 10 games because his defensive coordinator is incredible. Like they're well within their rights. Go, go right ahead. We, we all know who did the best job this year. And, and we know that in part because so many in the national media are looking, are, are talking about Deion Sanders and, Oh, a one in 11 team that won four games this year. Well, let me tell you about another one in 11 team folks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, that's the thing, right? There seems to be a lot of people in a rush to pat Dion on the back for the job he did, which, look, no shade to Dion. I'm just saying, our guy did it way better. <laughs> that's just the facts. And our guy didn't turn over 75% of the roster going into the, going into the season. He did it with the guys who were already there. Yep. Well, Dion might be regretting some of those offensive linemen I, that he uh, shipped out. Yeah. Real quick, uh, before we go, um, basketball played tonight. Uh, beat Northern Illinois 89-67, to a game that uh, Northern Illinois was winning 42-41 at half. But uh, Cats came out in the second half and just, like, put it on them. Uh, hey, this game was – oh, yeah. Cre- credit, go ahead, Scott. Credit to the defense. So Xavier Amos um, uh, forward for – uh, for Northern Illinois was virtually unstoppable in the first half. He had 19 points. He only scored seven in the second. The second half adjustments were critical. The other thing, like we talked about it with Jay uh, last week, that the front line for Northwestern had just really been missing from the score line the first, you know, five games of the year. And from from the jump, they targeted Matt Nicholson to get him involved. He scored 15. Uh, Martinelli had 11 um, Preston and Hunger added another seven combined. So like the like the majority, like not the majority, but like a huge portion of the scoring came to the front line. That felt very intentional. And uh, yeah, that defensive adjustment in the second half to uh, you know to to allow the Cats to to run away with run away with this in the end. Just a like a like a great performance. 
Exactly. That's what it felt like a classic Northwestern game by classic for, for last season, right? A combination of awesome defense, overall good play from everybody. And then at the same time, boo being like, get on my back. Like we're doing this in the second half. And that's what they did. Like this is lest we forget a very good Northern Illinois team. They were five and uh, five and one coming into this Mm -hmm. game. And, and a lot of people highlighted this interesting wrinkle in this game. We mentioned it on Twitter, but um, Rashawn Burno, um, uh, the head coach for NIU, was featured in the documentary The Street Stops Here um, in 2010, which was produced by Teamworks Media and our friend Jay Sharman, Lake the Posts. And Jay Sharman and Rashawn Burno are very close friends. So this was a big game for Jay. Um, and I think uh, he was really excited to see the, the performance that the Cats put on. And then coming in later this week, um, number one Purdue comes to town. Uh, John, re- remind <laughs> me what happened last time number one Purdue came to town? Uh, I, I have video to commemorate the event. <laughs> I can tell you exactly what happened from our seats at midcourt right behind the scorer's table as the Northwestern fans. Do. It is perfect. Look, I'm like we like we all know. I mean, Purdue is their phenomenal basketball team, but it was so great that they became number 1 again just in time for for this game to go down. Um and again, the Cats are they have that one loss to Mississippi State, but again, this is a good NIU team. This is an NIU team that may do a ton of damage in MAC play and may dance at the end of the day. Coming out of that conference, we already know about the Dayton win. Like, the Cats are rounding into form here. Anything else to uh, to talk about before we go tonight, guys? I'm just laughing because I feel like, especially at the beginning, we were kind of all over the place in this one. But in a good way and in a fun way. Like, we're all just happy, man. This is a great season. Um and that's, I feel like I've been having a ton of conversations with a ton of different people just being like, I'm just happy right now. Look at football. Look at this miracle season that they've pulled off, right? Look at the way that last basketball season was followed by this football season, right? And just like these just great things, a great end to this season, and it's not over yet. But you just, for all of these guys and their families and everything, just for all of this to come together like this, and the way we've all been able to jo- to enjoy it as fans, it's just awesome, man. Like this is just, I'm just so happy that this has all happened the way that it has. I go back to what you said last week, John. Like, or I, actually, I think it was two weeks ago. Like, this is supposed to be fun, right? Yeah, and it's been so much fun, and um, I just like credit to all the folks that have been involved in making it fun for for us as fans, and and I, like. Yeah, it's a great it's 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 a great place. It's a place I ne- it's it's a great place to be and a place I never thought we would be right now in this moment. Um so like just so much love to this team for for this ride that we've been able to go on this year. Amen. And uh just to kind of put it on everyone's radar, we will have our annual uh bowl challenge um coming up as, as soon as the bowl games are announced, we'll we'll have, we'll put that live. Um, you know, it's, it's a good time. It, you know, we do the bowl challenge every year. We do the uh, first thing we ever did just about, I think, right. On the yep. pod. Yeah. Texas uh, tech, uh, the well, Dallas bowl. That's the right. Year be- the year before I moved to Dallas, ironically. Did you go to, sc- you went scouting houses? 
No, it, it was literally the year before. Like, I didn't go to the game. Um, oh, that's right. It wasn't even on the radar. And then six months later, I was like, uh, I guess I'm moving to Dallas. Too bad. Too bad I wasn't here for that football game. That would have been cool. Yeah. Texas Tech people throwing tortillas. I don't you know. So with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at westlawpirates. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us, the West Slot of Ryan Field, flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LaCombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. 